five minutes. Thank you. Thanks, Anthony. Wasn't that lovely? Isn't it great when, when God's at work? And uh, uh, I actually said to Anthony, do I need to preach? Do, I, do we need anything else from, after what God has done and, and said among us? And, uh, um, and Anthony said, yeah, go for it. Um, I think, uh, well, I believe that I've got something that's relevant to us where we are as a church on our, on our journey that I'd like to share with you. It's a passage uh, that is so good, it's, it's twice, it's, it's repeated in the Bible, both Isaiah and Micah um, uh, have recorded this for, for our benefit, and I've asked Malcolm to actually come up, and Malcolm's going to read it to us. Our reading, oh, that's a bit loud. Our, our reading um, this morning from Isaiah two, one to six. This is what the this is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountains of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations, and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. You, Lord, have abandoned your people the descendants of Jacob. They are full of superstition from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. Thank you, I'm going to take a little bit of time this morning to look at three things from this passage that, as I said, I think are, are really relevant to us. And, and when I read this, and when I first kind of realised, oh, I've read this before somewhere else, you know, uh, that, it's, that it's repeated in Isaiah and Micah, that, uh, that this is uh, relevant. It's got something to say to us. The first one is, what's so special about the God of Jacob? So if I keep on looking backwards, it's because that screen stopped working <laughs> now, so I have to keep looking at, make sure I'm talking about something that's up there. Um, what's so special about this God of Jacob business? Uh, God's heart for the nations, that's us. God's heart for all the nations. And then 
just to think a little bit more about our journey, both as a church and individually, the journey that we're on. Because I think this passage has something for us and something that we need to respond to. First of all, a little bit of context. Isaiah and Micah were contemporaries. They lived about 200 years after the division of Israel and Judah. The the northern states of Israel actually fell during Isaiah and Micah's uh, uh, ministry. That is about 722 BC. And they lived about 200 years before the last book of the Old Testament, which is, of course, Nehemiah. <laughs> yeah, it's Malachi in the, uh, uh, in the way that it's set out, but Nehemiah is the last book that was actually written. Uh, it's, the, it's, the most, it's the newest book of the Old Testament. So about 200 years after the division of the kingdoms, big thing happened during their testimony, during, during their, their ministry, and about 200 years before the Old Testament kind of concludes in terms of, uh, of Scripture. Uh, some Bible scholars may ask, which Isaiah? I don't know. Have we got any Bible scholars here? Um, there is quite a lot of debate about whether uh, Isaiah 40 to 55 could have been written by the same person as who wrote Isaiah 1 to 40. And that's a fascinating subject. But this one is very clearly... Isaiah, son of Amos, because as Malcolm so well <laughs> read out, this is, this is the Isaiah, because he says who he is. That's an interesting subject, and the Bible scholars among you may want to uh, discuss that, but I'm not actually going to cover that uh, <laughs> this morning. I think it's also clear from this passage that this is not a passage about a physical mountain. Last time I looked, Mount Everest was higher than Mount Zion. In fact, that's about 12 times higher. So this is not about a physical thing that, uh, you know, that's going to happen in the lifetime of, uh, of humankind. There's something deeper in this passage, or these passages, that, uh, that we need to look into. I'd also say that the primary fulfilment, of course, of this passage is Jesus. When it talks about being established, and my my version, I've called this chief of the mountains. The the version of the Bible I have talks about, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord will be established as chief of the mountains. And, of course, the church of Jesus Christ is by far the biggest worldview and religion that there has ever been. There uh, there is an estimation that in the last 2,000 years, about 14 billion people have called themselves Christians. And of course, heaven is going to be bigger than that, isn't it? So at least 14 billion. So the primary kind of... uh, interpretation of this scripture is that 
what Jesus has done has raised this little place in, you know, with only a few people in it to be the place where the nations stream to. And we are, like I said, those nations that stream to it. And I'm going to pick up on that uh, in a bit. So there's three things that I'd like to kind of unpack now that we've got the kind of the history bit out of the way. First of all, what's this about the God of Jacob? What's so special about the God of Jacob? And the first thing I'd like to just dwell on, just think about for us as a, as, as a church, did man invent God? There's a widely held view, in the West especially, that humans created God. This is how it goes. They looked up at the sky... And the world around them, they couldn't explain it, so they worshipped it. Oh, have I? Oh, what have I pressed? I'll put it down. So where was I? Um, So there's this view, and it's a common, it's a widely held view. It's, it is, you know, I'm kind of looking at some of the younger people uh, up towards the back. This is a view that will be uh, expressed to you that man invented God because he couldn't understand it. And of course, it then goes on to say, but science is explaining everything now, so there is no room for God anymore. Now, The issue is this does have some credibility. This does have some credibility as as an argument. It actually explains idolatry, what happened in in ancient times, where, oh, right, I'll make a, you know, I'll I'll put up a stone or I'll, I'll carve a piece of wood to look like something and then I'll worship that. So, it, so I'm, not saying that, I'm not saying it's right, of course, but I'm saying there is some credibility in that argument. And so we shouldn't dismiss it completely. Man does have quite a good way of inventing gods. And we still are, I'm going to go on to say. However, the message of the God of Jacob was completely different. Now, we've had kind of 4,000 years to get our heads around this about the God of Jacob. But I don't think we realise that when God revealed himself to Abraham, just what a massive, massive, totally changing message that was. God is outside of the universe. He is not part of the universe. Other religions would worship the God who is within this universe. We are declaring, we are proclaiming what God revealed to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of Jacob. Something that is completely different. If you think about it, it is completely the other way round to what I've just described. I've just described man couldn't understand it, created God. The good news that we share is completely the other way around. That he was in the beginning. How does the Bible start? In the beginning, God. 
He was in the beginning. He created us and thereby gives meaning to our lives and to life itself. He made us both moral and creative like himself, like himself, with minds, with free will to explore our universe and most importantly to choose to love him back. He made us so that we could choose to love him back and that is a choice that we all have to make. I can't make that choice for you to love him back. What do I mean when I say meaning? What do I mean by meaning? I'd just like to give you a bit of an illustration. Now, I heard something. It was actually a funeral. It was a Christian funeral, uh, um, picking up on what Anthony said. Um, I heard something which I thought was so good. You know, I needed... Uh, and I've been kind of thinking on it and dwelling on it. That I, I, want to, I want to share it with you. Has anyone here ever watched Antiques? Programs, antiques, roadshow, things like that. Yes. Do you remember some sometimes somebody brings something and nobody knows what it is? Do you, uh, do you remember? You know, it, it kind of happens quite regularly. You know, somebody brings this thing, and there's and people maybe guess. Oh, I think it's uh, yeah, I think it's something one of these. Yeah, it's normally a they think it's a doctor's instrument or something, don't they? Is that for? pulling people apart. And have you noticed there's always one kind of smug person? It's, of, it's often the expert, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> I know what it is. <laughs> no, nah, it's not that. And then he reveals the purpose of this thing. You know, it's a 1920s gherkin weffler or something. You know. And it's like... And there's an aha moment, isn't there? There's a, ah, oh, yeah, I can see it now. That's what it is. That's what it is. Well, I'd like to say to you that, that in order to kind of assess anything, you need to know what it's for. And what are you for? What are you for? Do you know what you are for? Sometimes those funny things only work when they're plugged in. Sometimes they're only looking at something that is a, that is a part of something bigger. It's just a component. And I would suggest this morning that the Bible shows us what we are for that God reveals to us what we are for, we have that aha moment when we become a Christian. We get that revelation in our hearts. I know what I'm for. Ah, all of a sudden, it becomes clear. um, We're actually going to look at it this evening. The, The start of Ephesians shows us that we were established we were preordained, we, we, were, we were set apart to be holy, to be worshippers, to be a praise for his glory. We were made to be in relationship with God, brothers and sisters. 
If we are not connected to the power supply through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is important to us. If, if we're not connected, and actually if we're not connected to each other in church as well, we're not fulfilling what we're made for. This is really important that we understand what we're for. What's our purpose? Because we can then share that with others. Um, I'm, by the way, this is the main kind of point. I'm not going <laughs> to go on for lots and lots of time after, after this. Um, I do apologise because sometimes Christians can come across as a bit smug, can't we? <laughs> we can be the person who I know what I'm for. <laughs> but we have to recognise that so many people out there haven't had that. They don't know what they're for. They haven't had that moment of revelation of God showing them what they're made for. When we are living in what we're made for, then uh, we find that joy and peace and the fruits of the Holy Spirit come through that, uh, that the world doesn't, can't experience don't know, you know, um, atheism has no answers to these types of questions that I'm asking. I'd also like to uh, suggest that uh, things are quite often used for the wrong thing. You know, lots of shoes are used as hammers, aren't they? Yep. Does that make a shoe a hammer? Or no? Um... The fact that you can use something for something else doesn't make it what it was for. Now, we live in a society today which says, no, we need to celebrate the hammeriness of that shoe. We live in a society that says, no, it's okay for you as a shoe to think that you're a hammer. We live in a society which actually says, no, I want to celebrate the hammeriness of your shoe. And, and I want to free you from having to have a foot in you and carry somebody around. And if somebody dares to say, uh, it's a shoe, it's not a hammer, what? Bigotry! <laughs> Is that... Tulophobia. <laughs> We're living in a society that says, no, it's okay. It's okay to think about whatever you are. Which leads to the kind of the second point. Are all religions the same? Saying all religions are the same is like, is like saying all sport is the same. You know, the pitch and a ball and teams. And, and we need to be clear that all religions are not the same that there is something special about this God of Jacob. There's something unique about what he declared to Abraham, Isaac, and, and to Jacob. It's not credible to say that all religions are the same. That's like, yeah. And like I said, it's like saying that football is the same as cricket because they're both sports. 
And we need to be careful because verse 6, as Malcolm read out, says we need to be we need to be careful about superstitions from the East. You know, there's lots of influences. There's lots of people will tell you what they think the truth is. But we need to be clear. Man didn't invent God. God was there first. All religions aren't the same. Which kind of leads to what's different. This is where we come to Jesus Christ. And thank you, Hilary, for pointing out the name. Do you know what? Now, I could talk about that you know, for the whole 30 minutes about this, but I'm not going to. Jesus is the only person in history who has made a credible claim to be God himself. So, so even if we only go back the 4,000 years to Abraham, nobody else has made a credible claim to be God. Nobody else. So, so when, when, when we're talking to people and they, they've either said, oh man, invented God and they're all the same, and we need to be clear, not, argue, not to argue with them, that, that won't get anywhere, but we need to be clear. Jesus is the only person. That's why we sing about him. That's why it's made a difference in our lives. Nobody else has credibly claimed to be God in history. And do you know, things actually haven't changed that much. I've been talking a bit about history, haven't I? I don't know whether that turns you on or not. You know, 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, 700 years before... Before Jesus, I, I, I'm, I'm interested in that sort of thing. You know, I think we, we need, when we read the Bible, to understand that, yeah, okay, we can read it in a few, you know, lots of people will have read it in a year, but it took a lot longer than a year to write. <laughs> it covers uh, over 2,000 years. And, you know, things haven't changed very much. People are still making it up as they go along. Uh, I don't want to give much credit to, to new atheism, but they're trying to say, well, we can, we can derive morals from the fact that there is no God. And to be honest, philosophically, it falls apart pretty quickly. Um, some of you will know that uh, we had a horrible experience in my family. Um, my brother's granddaughter died on Christmas Eve last year which was horrible, she was six months old. And uh, um, it, was, it was really horrible. It was, you know, and, and feel for my, my family down in, in Cornwall. Um, something come, things come out when, when horrible things like, like that happen. So people were saying, there's a new star in heaven. People were saying, you know, God has another angel. People who had no belief in God were saying, she's gone to a better place. I don't want to, you know, I certainly didn't have an argument with them and put them straight, you know, at a funeral. Um, that's, that's not what I'm trying to get across here. What I'm trying to get across is that, is that people will say things and, and will we'll make things up to give them comfort. But the truth is so much better. The truth is so much better. My uh, great niece is in a much better place 
than being a star in the sky. So I don't, you know, I don't wish to say this to criticise my family. I just w- want to make the point how the truth that we believe is so much better than what is being made up. I've already alluded to this. Um, uh, I hope you're listening, kind of the younger ones among us. You're going to be told all sorts of stuff when you go through school or when you graduate that, oh, it's all within you. You know, you need to find yourself. Have, have you heard these stories of people have to go to Mongolia or somewhere to find themselves? You don't, you don't hear stories of them going to Milton Keynes to find themselves, do you? Or, um, yeah, but I tell you what, people are finding themselves in, middle, in Milton Keynes when they turn to Jesus. And of course, where does this come from? What, you know, what, what, what's behind this? Of course, if there is no God and there is no meaning, well, you've got to, you've got to kind of find it in here. It must be in here somewhere. You know, there must be something from within. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. That's, that's not that far away from Gnosticism, which was a problem in the first century. You know, the, the devil isn't very creative. He tends to come up with, uh, <laughs> with the same old lies uh, all the time. But this is really, really important, I think, for, for those of us, you know, particularly for the, for the young among us. Be careful to recognise the root of what you hear. You will be told that you've just got to find it within. You can be whatever you want to be. You know, you've just got to find it within yourself and do it. And in a, in a way, it sounds, it sounds quite good and self-motivating. Um, Hillary preached on that, was it a year, a year ago, about those self, self-motivational sort of uh, things. It was brilliant. And um, do you know what? It's actually the lies of the enemy. It's based uh, on lies. It's not the truth of Jesus. It's not the truth as the Bible declares to us. You can be who God made you to be. You, can, you have all the potential in you because you have the Holy Spirit in you, not because it was there anyway and just needs to go to Mongolia to find it. Rather begs the question of which teaching are we following? Actually, if you think about it, nothing is inside us that hasn't come from some source. You know, lots of people uh, are basing their morality from TV programs. You know, they're finding what meaning they can in life from all sorts of sources. Who are we listening to? Just want to quickly go through a couple more things. God has always had a heart for the nations. Um, This is from the the passage that Malcolm read. So 720-odd BC, God was saying this. Many people, he was pointing to the fact that his plan was always to broaden out to all the nations, the Gentiles, as they're sometimes called. It goes back. This is what God said to Jacob, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. 
You will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north, to the south, all peoples on earth. Not just people, peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. It carries on. Psalm 22 is awesome, by the way. Psalm 22 is a description of the crucifixion about a thousand years before it happened. So it was attributed to, uh, to David. And it kind of finishes up saying, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. This is good news for us. This is for us. God has always had you in his plan. Anyone here not from a family? This is for us. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. God has always wanted us in his kingdom. It's always been his plan. Some of us might be sitting there thinking, oh, you know, this is nice stuff, but it's not for me. Sorry, it is. It's for you. And then let's jump right to the end. John had this amazing revelation of the end times. And it says, After this I looked, and before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. This is our destiny. This is what we have coming for us. Um, I don't know, when it says, a great multitude that no one could count, do you doubt that? Do you think that's the case? Well, actually, I've worked it out. Even if we took it out as... uh, 14 billion people, and we know that there will be more in heaven. Well, that will take about uh, 1.4 million football matches to fit those people all standing there. 1.4 million football pitches. And picking up on this, how long do you reckon it would take it to count? How, if you started one, two, three, four, how long? Even if, even if we keep it as 14 billion, how long do you think it would take to get to... 13,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,999,
I'd just like to reinforce that if, <laughs> if you're a visitor here, you need to know we're on a journey. And it's, it's kind of about these four things, and I'm, I'm just going to say it slightly differently. Who we are, and we, we are, as a church, finding out what's distinctive about us. And we're going to do this this year. And I think it's fantastic. So the point I want to make is that when we become more clear and confident about who we are, so wasn't Olaf's thing last week brilliant? Wasn't that just a description of the church that we want to be? Don't just remember the donuts, please. Remember, remember what he said and the heart that was behind it. That was something that I want to say, yes, I'm, I'm in. I want to be part of a church like was described last week. In doing that, we're not criticising other churches. We're not saying, oh, you know, we're better than anyone else. We're just being clear about who we are. And I think that's really important that as we do that, as, as, as a church, we get clearer about, yes, this is us. And this is where we stand. This is how we do things. We recognise other people do different things, but this is, this is us. And, uh, and we're going to be on an exciting journey this, this coming season, few years. But then there's also an individual journey. I'd really like our church to be a come let us church. So much of what people think about Christianity and religion is thou shalt, isn't it? But the words that are here are come let us. Let us go. We may walk in his path. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. I'd really encourage us to, to be a church that takes people with it. Old and young, people and Christians, that we take this on board and say, yeah, let's be a come let us church. And finally, not one minute, two. <laughs> I actually wrote this down. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal saviour, I'd respectfully ask you a question. Which mountain are you climbing in your life? We only have one life. I'd hate to get to the top and find out that I was climbing the wrong mountain. There's things like the Alpha Course, another one kicking off soon, that can really help us decide which mountain we're going to climb in our lives. We can try some of these other ones. We can make it up as we go along. We can believe that all the mountains are the same. But at the end of the day, there is only one truth. We can't all be right. I've tried to just unpack a little bit about what is distinctive about the Christian faith. About the God of Jacob, who we follow. We're part of his family and I'd 
heartily recommend to any of us that we climb that mountain together to the house of the Lord, the temple of God, and we join in that amazing throng that we're going to be a part of, that we're going to see in heaven. I'd just like to close in, in prayer. Our Holy Spirit, we, we, we pray that you have worked in our hearts today. Lord, I pray that we will have had open hearts to hear what you were saying, Lord, in our worship and praise time, in the, in the words that were brought, the, the scriptures that were read, Lord, and in just shining a little bit of light on this, uh, on this passage from Isaiah and Micah. Lord, thank you that your work, your word is living. And Lord, you give revelation. Lord, I can't do that for anyone. Only you can reveal truth in our hearts. And Father, I pray that all of us here will have had some truth revealed in our hearts today. Lord, I pray that we would respond to it. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Did you want to close, Anthony?